What's it like when one of your friends on death row is led away to be executed? You have a prepaid call from William A. Aguirre. An inmate at the California State Prison, San Quentin. This call and your telephone number will be monitored and recorded. I had to be a different complete guy, which is the guy who walked the walkways of San Quentin's death row and without a gang, without a, a group of people around. It was just me. Soon after you went into to be on death row, and you didn't really understand the prison workout system so much. But then he said, we're going to do 75 sets of it. To me, that seems extreme. So I'm wondering if there's a danger of overtraining, wearing yourself out so that you're... No, no, that's actually funny. That's funny. And it's funny. I'll tell you why. I'm gonna... That's a good one, Matt. Uh, I'll tell you why. Look, the first thing that I Welcome to Death Row Diaries, the only podcast hosted live from Death Row. I'm Matt Ralston. And I'm William Nogueira. Today we're going to talk about the Iceman. That's a cool name. Kuklinski. That's the guy's name, right? Yeah, not such a cool name, but Iceman, definitely cool name. Yeah, he kind of needed the nickname just to, you know, kind of smooth over the Kuklinski thing. First, I want to remind everyone to follow us on Instagram and Facebook at Death Row Diaries and check out our Patreon page. That is patreon.com slash deathrowdiaries, where you'll get access to bonus content that you won't hear otherwise. And we get a lot of uh, positive feedback about the Patreon page. You know, it's a couple dollars a month. It's really not anything. It's 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 more the the thought that counts is my you know, elementary school teacher might have told me. Bill, before we get to Richard Kiklinski, now he's a hitman for the mafia, so this is an interesting story, but he might have also been a serial killer at the same time, which isn't that weird because he's killing people for a living and then maybe he killed people for his own personal uh, enjoyment, right? definitely discuss the case as we go along and uh, we'll, uh, we'll delve into his life. Yeah, but first we have an update and that is about Richard Cottingham. That's the computer nerd genius who we covered uh, about uh, three or four episodes ago. And he's a serial killer who I, I don't know, he didn't want to admit to a lot of his killings, right? And, and you have an update about that, so fill us in on what's going on. Well, yeah. Well, you know, serial killers, usually law enforcement says that, uh, you know, they kill 12 people, we have the 12 people, we convicted them, and that's it. And a lot of times I tell you, and I, I keep telling our audience, that, look, these guys don't get caught for the first 10 or 12. Sometimes they have a lot more, and they keep them for themselves. Because it's personal to them. It's, they're, they're more private than other killings. Well, this is a perfect example. You know, Richard... Cunningham, and he's known as a torso killer. He killed people in New York, New Jersey. You know, a really bad guy. And he's over the years given up other murders he has done, and they check it, and sure enough, he's the killer. And you asked the question last time, when well, we did the episode, I think it was like three or four episodes ago, uh, do you think he's going to do it again before he, you know, he dies? He's getting old. The guy's definitely older guy. And my reply to you was, I'll guarantee he does it before the end of the year. 
And I know that you rolled your eyes, man. You thought, okay, here we go. You got to put yourself in a position where you're you're basically guaranteeing something to happen, and someone's going to shoot you in the foot for not being right. Well, all contraire, mon frere, I was right. He beat it again just about a week ago or something. Uh, he has confessed five more murders, and what I was about a month. Uh, I had a, a, a month grace period. I said the other year. Well. He's done it the first week of December. Yeah, how did you know this? You know, it was just a, an instinctive thing. I can't tell you exactly how I knew it, but it's a pattern. It's, this guy's getting older. Serial killers like attention. Some of them do. This one seemed to like the interviews. He liked the attention. He liked the books, the reporters, the authors that would come see him. So I believe to keep himself relevant, he holds back certain things. He's given five more. Want to bet that he has more that he hasn't told anybody about, which will keep him relevant. And is he just giving up information just to stay relevant? No, he actually did these crimes. He is the killer. And he has a few more. I'm not sure how many more, but he does have a few more. And I believe in 2023, maybe around July, August, he'll give up more. Yeah, he's pretty old. And he's he's got that creepy uh, Santa Claus look going. That a lot of serial killers, uh, you know, I, I mean, they need to draw attention to themselves. So I feel like growing a giant beard and looking kind of freaky is part of that whole thing, isn't it? Well, you're a prison. It doesn't really matter. He does. He's not trying to be reclusive or he's not trying to hide. He's in plain sight. Everybody knows who this guy is. And whether he grows a, a large beard or he shaves his head or wears a tomahawk, it doesn't really matter. We know who the torso killer is and we know what he's done. All right. Well, we'll check back. And uh, So what's, I mean, what's going to happen with this information? Are, are they going to, they're obviously going to look into it, but where does it kind of go from there? Well, I mean, he's already, he's doing the rest of his life in prison. They're just, they're not going to prosecute for him. He'll probably sign documents that he did it. It clears the, the cold case files for some of these cities and, and these, these cases, which is a good thing. It closes cases, and you don't have to relook at it. We know who the killer is. That's basically all that's going to happen. This guy is never going to get out, so to prosecute him and spend taxpayer dollars on a trial is ridiculous. Right. But they can close a few cases, like you said. Maybe the families absolutely. will get some uh, closure. Yeah, absolutely. All right. If you guys have any listeners submitted questions, send those to us at the aforementioned facebook instagram patreon page and we will get to those next week but right now we got a lot going on bill and we got to talk about richard kiklinski known as the Iceman. he was a hitman for the mafia you know i know a lot of dudes from new jersey of italian descent want to act like they know people in the mafia and most of them don't there aren't that many people in the mafia anymore but it does exist but, Bill, you know a lot of people in the Mafia, because you're in prison, unfortunately. Um, so how would one become, I don't know, a hitman necessarily, but how, how would one just, how would one become not part of the Mafia, because he, he wasn't part of the Mafia, but how would one uh, become associated with the Mafia if they wanted to? Well, it's all about networking and, and the work that you've done is word of mouth. 
this guy, Kuklinski, can now be part of the Italian mob. He's not Italian. I believe he's Polish, and or whatever he is. And um, he can never become part, he can become an associate. Like, you know, in Goodfellas, you see that Jimmy, the gent, Gentleman Jim, played by Robert De Niro, was not Italian, or he was half Italian. But he could never become May, but he was an associate. He was a feared associate, but he was an associate nonetheless. With this guy, if, 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 and there's a big if here, he is what he says, you know, he, if he did do those things, then he would have had to network his way by word of mouth. And I'm, again, I said if because there's good reason to believe that this guy is a pathological liar. If he is a murderer, he's killed several people, and um, we'll get into his case when I call back. But yeah, I'm going to give you an opinion of this guy that a lot of guys that have read that book are not going to like, but hell, it's the truth. I'll be back. Hey, yeah, so from just from a outside perspective, it's tough for me to understand how full of shit this guy is or isn't because he obviously, you know, plays up being kind of a the Iceman. You know, he plays that up to the camera. He's also really tall. He's six five, but he's kind of fat too, which tall and fat actually is a really intimidating, um, combination, you know, the, <clears throat> got the Bam Bam Bigelow look going on. Um, so there's a lot going on and I just, I don't know how to really read anything here. Like, I guess basically what I'm wondering, is he crazy or is he playing up being crazy? Like how a rapper would do. Uh, and it does have a lot to do with who his family is as well. So, 
this guy was born in New Jersey City, New Jersey. Um, his dad was a brakeman for the railroad. His mom worked in a meat packing plant. Dad was abusive, drank, beat the kids. The wife, the mom, was also very abusive. She was a fanatic when it came to religion. She was Roman Catholic. Um, and he grew up in a pretty violent environment. His brother, Joseph, um, his younger brother, actually, was convicted of murdering and raping a 12-year-old little girl. And after the rape, he threw her off the top of a, of a building along with her dog. And, you know, when they asked Kuklinski, the Iceman, about his brother and what happened, his, his reply was, we come from the same father. That was his reply. So, not a real good uh, upbringing. There are rumors that his father beat his older brother to death. His brother was dead, found dead. And there were reports that he was pushed downstairs, other reports that his father actually beat him to death. We don't know. No one knows. Nevertheless, very violent upbringing, very uh, bad, abusive home. So, so, Matt, look, not good. You can see where this guy could become a sociopath, could become. And, and look, just so we know, and I'll, I'll break the ice with this. The guy's not a serial killer, okay? So, this kind of killer is more nurtured. His instinct to be violent is nurtured. He, he was created. He was not born this way. He's not a serial killer. Okay, so that's good information. If your dad beats your brother to death, even if that's on the table, if it sounds like something that's possible, I guess I can understand how you would uh, become violent. You know, our listeners are not going to like the dog thing, Bill. They, you know, killing a dog really uh, infuriates people more so than if they kill people. Wow. So, he rapes and kills a 12-year-old. That doesn't upset people to throw a dog off the roof, does? Yes. He threw them both off the roof. Uh, so, bad situation. Bad. His brother, by the way, went to prison for that. He actually died in prison as well. So the guy didn't get away with it. His brother was a killer. He went to prison for that. Um, so let's talk about the Iceman. Okay, so he, you know, he, he begins his career bad guy, but he starts to work for a, a Manhattan film firm, and right away he sees opportunity. This guy is about money. Let me just say that out front. This guy, his, his reasoning for killing is money, it's financial gain is profit. And as soon as he starts working at this film lab, he realizes he can make copies of popular movies and he becomes, uh, he begins to sell them. And he enters then into the market of pornography because at this film company, they have some of the major porn films. And that's what this guy does. He starts selling large quantities of porn. And you meet a lot of shady people on that thing. So much so that he begins to meet people on the side and he tries to sell uh, porn, copying machines, anything that this particular company and firm have, he's selling at the back door. One of his first murders 
is, well, let me, let me back up. Before his arrest for murder, decades later, his only arrest, his entire life was one arrest, and that was for passing a bad check. And he just paid a fine and they dropped the charges. He paid the money back. It wasn't very much. That's the only thing you see on this guy on the, on the bleak chart when it comes to crime. He has no record, no violence, nothing. But he immediately jumps to a different situation, and that's where it gives to a pause of wondering who this guy really is. Because he begins to kill associates. The first one was he meets a guy you know, in a warehouse, and they're supposed to exchange pornography for $27,000 in cash. Well, the Iceman decides just to kill this guy. He kills him, takes his money, he cuts his legs in behind so he can fold the body and stick it in a 55-gallon drum. And he leaves it next to a plant in Jersey. Now, that he knew that you had to cut the tendons in the back legs to put a body in a 55-gallon drum raises an eyebrow because we know that the mob did this kind of stuff. It raises an eyebrow. How would you get that kind of information in your head? And more so, how would you use it or apply it to your own life? That does give pause. Okay. Very shortly after that, he lures another client, a guy by the name of Paul Hoffman. He's a pharmacist. And the Iceman has come across a treatment drug for peptic ulcers. And he contacts his pharmacist and says, look, I'll sell this big batch for $25,000. Of course, it's at very low price that the drug pharmacist believes he can make a huge profit on. What he didn't uh, count on was that the Iceman lured him into a garage, and after shooting him and the gun goes bad, he beats the guy to death with a tire iron, takes his money, and stuffs him into a freaking 55-gallon drum. And he's never found. So you can see this guy has no problem, first of all, in killing, and second of all, doing so for his own gain. Okay, so I, I didn't really get this part of it. So he's like a, a scammer. He's a He's a scammer guy doing porn and... I didn't even know you could hit up a pharmacist and tell them to steal drugs and then have you sell it. That's that's weird. Uh, but that's quite a bit different from murder. I mean, there's people that are there's people that are hustlers like that, but they don't have the capacity to murder. So, but I guess he does it right away. He kills the pharmacist guy. So I don't know. He's a scammer and a murderer, right? Yeah, well, he eliminates any possible witnesses in, 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 in a furnace here, so he's also running a burglary ring, a burglary ring, and he has associates, and they're doing these burglaries. He's the head guy. He's scoping out places. They're burglarizing it and making money off this thing. That's what this guy does. He's always looking for money. He's doing this stuff, and it comes to his attention that one of his associates has been arrested and they're going he's going to testify against the Iceman. okay so it upsets him and he pretty soon turns on one of his associates named gary smith he also believes that he's going to become an informant and before he can become an informant 
he decides to kill him. He takes him to a motel room, and he actually kills this guy and sticks his body behind the box spring and the mattress and leaves him in the motel room. Now, his other associate, this guy's name is Gary Smith, his other associate, Perry House, has already gone to the police and has agreed to testify. They don't even find his body until a week later when people that have rented this motel say there's a foul smell there. They look and they find a body there. So this guy is just beginning to kill people. Next, he immediately turns around and he murders Daniel Dacker, another associate involved with his burglary ring. He believes that he's going to tell. And he kills him. And he puts his, he leaves the body in, uh, next to a, a, uh, a wooded area, and it's spotted because vultures are eating the body. And it's only three miles from a ranch that the Iceman takes his family riding to. So this guy's already, he's killing quickly. He kills again when he kills Louis uh, Mansgate. Now, this guy, he killed him for $95,000. He was going to buy a lot of video equipment from that factory he worked at, and this guy decides, the Iceman, I'm not giving this guy nothing. I'm taking his money, and I'm going to kill him. So this is the case where he becomes known as the Iceman, because he kills this guy, sticks his body in a freezer, and like two years later, he decides, okay, kind of dump the body. He grabs the body and throws it somewhere, and they find that's when they find all the icicles. So as you can see, this guy kills. Nowhere here are we seeing mob hitman, okay? We're not seeing anything like this. And we don't see it till after he's arrested and he begins to talk about murders to reporters, to book authors, to all these different people. And this is where I'm going to start talking about why I think this guy, the Iceman, is a fraud, okay? Look, you're hearing it from me. He's a fraud. Let me call back. Uh, fraud. Okay, that's kind of strong language, Bill. Yeah, I know. I mean, what's the guy going to do? Come out of the grave and kill me? Look, I call it as I see it. I read people really well. I've read the books about this guy. I've read this guy's motives on why he kills. And I also know that he had motive to lie to become this ultra boogeyman so people would buy books, people would buy the films, and he gives these interviews because he likes the attention. He's a storyteller. That's what he is. Yeah, he definitely likes the attention. So when he does these interviews, and I, I think he did a lot of them after he was um, you know, arrested or imprisoned. And yeah, he definitely enjoys the attention. He likes playing up the psycho character. I feel like he was influenced strongly by Jack Nicholson, perhaps. Yeah, I, I wouldn't doubt it. And, and look, the reason I'm calling this what it is is because, listen, this guy's a bad guy. Is he a murderer? Absolutely. Did he probably kill more than the five people? Absolutely. We learned later on in 2006 that he also killed a police officer. And he was charged, convicted, he signed a confession, and he did kill that police officer. So is he a bad guy? Absolutely. What are his numbers probably? What kind people did he really kill? I'd say between 11 and 14 people. He's not a serial killer. He did it for profit. There's a big difference. But, so, around this time when these murders are happening, 
there's a task force is put together by the New Jersey Attorney General's office. It's called Operation Iceman, which I know he loves that, or he loved it because he's dead now. And they place an undercover cop close to him. And, you know, the guy buys a silencer from him. He does a few deals with them. And then he tells Iceman, look, um, I want you to kill a Jewish coke dealer. It's all made up because the guy's a cop. And he wants Iceman to kill this guy. So Iceman asked for some cyanide. And the cop gives it to him. And look, this guy Kaplinsky's not a dumb guy. He kind of smells something going awry. So he gets the, the cyanide, he feeds it to a stray dog to see if it's real. Nothing happens to the dog. He realizes he's being set up. So he doesn't go to do the hit. Instead, he goes home. They set up a roadblock, and they, they arrest him. His wife, Barbara, is charged with trying to uh, prevent the arrest from happening. She got mad. She's screaming at the cops, this kind of stuff. And he goes away to prison. He never gets back out. They convict him of all these different crimes. He actually confesses to the ones he did. And, and that's the end of the Iceman. However, a couple of years later, he begins to talk. He begins to tell people that he worked for the Gambino family, that he was one of the guys dressed in the Russian, Jewish Russian outfits that killed the mob boss of the Gambino family, Paul Casiano. That he, Sammy the Bull, and uh, John Gotti were involved in that. He talks about all these other hits that he knows about because he was the one that actually did them. When he first starts confessing, he said he's been a hundred murders, one hundred murders, and he's killed these people with crowbars, bombs, ice picks, you know, he's thrown in caves, had rats eat them, all this stuff that he has said and was written about by the author Carlo in the book, The Iceman. Great stuff for movies, great stuff for books, and this guy knows it. So as the stories develop, his numbers begin to increase. It's not 100 anymore, it's 200 he's killed. But when these mob guys, including Sammy the Bull, is asked about this guy, Tuklinski, his response is, I've never heard of this fucking guy. Who the fuck is this guy? So when you have guys who have turned in for me, like Sammy the Bull, and all these different mob guys are involved, and they ask him about the Iceman, and they say, I don't know who the hell that guy is. Those guys are in the hat. They knew what was going on. They were mob bosses. They would, and believe me, they would talk about the guy because they're trying to un, undo these things that they've done by testifying or informing on other mob bosses. And no one's heard of this guy. Now, was this guy so fearful? People were so scared of this guy, they won't talk about him? Yeah, in the fantasy world, but in the world world, guys like Sammy the Bull, Guys like Demay, Gotti, they would have told on this guy, and they didn't because they didn't know about him, which leads me to believe, Matt, that this guy made everything up. It's all a figment of his imagination. That's why I'm saying with very strong words that the Iceman is actually a fraud in terms of him being a, a mob hitman. He does, he comes off like a storyteller to me. I mean, I've read the books. They're just too perfect. He remembers too much. 200 murders? 
All right, now I'm confused. So you think he killed people? He actually did kill people. We know that. But you're saying he had no affiliation with the mafia? So wouldn't that make him a serial killer? No, because he did it for profit. He killed those people because he wanted the money they had in their pocket because they were going to buy something from him. And he wanted to eliminate all witnesses. That was it. He wanted the money. And he felt he could sell it again. If this guy's willing to pay $95,000 for this, he can kill this guy, keep the money, keep the merchandise, and sell it again. Double profits. No, this guy's about profits. Now, he even says that he, at 14, he killed his first person. And that he was practicing on bums on how to perfect his craft. Well, all the law enforcement people that have been interviewed about this stuff and have researched this guy, they say they can't collaborate any of it. Zero. So if he killed all these 200 people, where are they? He even says he knew who, who killed Jimmy Hoffa. And those were here. Come on. Those are headlines. Those aren't truths. This guy, yeah, they probably know a couple guys who are associated with Sure, everybody does in New Jersey. Who doesn't? You go to a club, you go to a bar, there's a couple guys there that probably have some kind of affiliation to the mob. This guy was a criminal. He worked in the porn business. He had to have come across a couple of male officers. Did he see John Gotti pass by in a car? Probably. Did he see one time, you know, saying a bull walk by him? Probably. But was he associated with these guys? The bigger picture is, why is this guy doing burglaries? Running a burglary room if he's killed 200 people at 10, 15, $20,000 a pop. 200 people? You you don't need to be in a burglary room. No, this stuff is made up. He did it for financial gain. He told those stories. He told Carlo. He's different authors. He's different interviews because he was putting money in his family's pockets. He sold the right to this. That's what he did. Look, I know people don't want to hear this, but. Do you want me to sit here and blow, blow smoke up your yin-yang by saying, oh, this guy was this and that, when I know it's not true? Everybody that I know that is associated with some kind of organized crime say the same thing that I'm saying right now. The guy's not, the guy's made up. He's a character. They make it to that dude up to sell books. That's it. Yeah, the Jimmy Hoffa thing, that's a bit of a whopper. If, and you know how these guys work, how pathological liars work, Bill. That's probably something that came later after people stopped caring and paying attention. So he's like, um, I got to pull something out out of my hat here. Uh, all right, Jimmy Hoffa, do you care now? Yeah, we care for a little bit. Then we go back to not caring. Yeah, well, remember, this guy, the, the mob in the 80s was real. Oh, man, people are still fascinated with this stuff. When a guy with this kind of height, you know, he's already a, a murderer. They know he's a killer. He's got this reputation. And he starts talking about the mob. I'm actually a hitman. He's trying to get a name for it. They gave me an Iceman, for God's sake. What a great freaking name, right? And, you know, I'm sure he went back to his sister thinking, hmm. Come on. I start telling a little bit of the story. This is how they respond. They respond in a good way. And they keep coming. He keeps making up stories. And then the biggest one is this guy, Carlo, the freaking New York Times best-selling author, comes to him. I want to write your story. What's he going to tell him? Look, 
I was mad at my dad, so I just tried to kill all the people that were associated because I was afraid they were going to tell on me. No, no, it's not that exciting. That's maybe two or three chapters. I need a whole book. What do you got? Well, look, uh, I was part of the mob. What, what position? What capacity? I was their most, most feared hitman. Really? What do you got? And he starts telling stories. You can't collaborate them. You can't do anything about this. So the author says, hey, I'm getting it from the guy who's saying it. I'm doing my due diligence of talking to the source. And the source says he did it. He writes the book. Because the national is a bestseller. I'm sure that the Iceman got a piece of that. Now, it seems like he's... Kind of burst your boat, boat. That kind of burst your bubble, man. You thought we were talking about this guy who was, I don't know, a serial killer and possibly this and that, and I just completely threw a cold drink of water in your face, huh? Yeah, he's just kind of a typical scumbag convict, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, the Iceman unmasked on Death Row Diaries, folks. How did he get the name Iceman? I didn't realize... When you said it at the beginning of the episode, I, I hadn't put two and two together, but that's just jacked from Top Gun, right? <laughs> you would think so, huh? But no, it wasn't. He didn't give himself that name. Law enforcement gave him the name because one of the people that he killed, that he was, that person was going to buy some video cassette things for him for $95,000 or something of that range. Um, he kills the guy, and instead of throwing the body in a freaking 55-gallon drama and getting rid of it, he stuck the body in a freezer. And that body was in the freezer for nearly two years. And when he took it out to get rid of it, he left it somewhere, and they found it before it completely thawed. So there was ice particles. The, the coroner, when he opened the body up and stuff, because, of course, it was preserved. You put a body in a, in a refrigerator, it's not going to decompose. So when it began to thaw out, there were still icicles inside of it. They were still frozen. So when they opened it up, they realized that it had been in a freezer for a long time. And when they knew who did it, they began to call the person. They didn't know who he was, by the way. They didn't know that Kuklinski was the Iceman or the person they were calling the Iceman. It's like when they started calling Richard Ramirez a Night Stalker. They didn't know who he was. They just called the perpetrator the Night Stalker. It's the same thing with this guy. They called him the Iceman for that reason. Not because he was a hitman that everybody knew as Iceman. No one knew him by his name until the police began looking for him and they called that operation the task force that was trying to find this guy was called operation iceman that's where the name came from so how do these guys guys like him when they want attention or when they want to talk to the media what's the actual process there you can't just google cnn and like a phone number comes up you don't even have google I mean, how do you actually get Larry King's number or whatever? Well, I don't think it really has to. Local papers first start coming to talk to him. There's always media around these type of cases where you have guys kill five, six people, and they come to talk to you. You, you, you know, you're a criminal. You, you observe behavior. You know what you'll want to hear. He's a compulsive, pathological liar. He's looking for gain, sympathy, attention, whatever he's rocking his boat. And they come see him, and he kind of gives a little bit there. A bigger fish in the media department hears about it, they come to see him, and he just begins to network from there. Next thing you know, 60 Minutes coming to see you, and you got authors, you have all these people want to interview you, and of course, the more interviews you do, the more attention you're getting, so the more stories you're creating. 
Well, when he's doing these interviews, and he did a lot of them, I'm curious about like the media relationship. So let's look at, say, Connie Chung. She's still kicking around, pretending to be a journalist. She's married to Maury Povich, the pregnancy test guy, the toothless Appalachian pregnancy test dude. So your journalistic credentials go out the window at that point, but... I mean, do they know the guy is full of shit, or do they do they want to get to the truth, or are they pretty cynical and they're like, whatever, it's good for ratings, just let them talk? Well, look, I don't think anybody in the media purposely created this guy. This guy created himself, and it's very hard for people in the media or authors of books or writers to say, well, this guy's lying. He's telling you what he's done, and he is convicted of all these other mercies that he's confessed to, so he's credible in that way. But the problem is with people, especially people that begin to become informants or CIs, they become what's called a reliable source. So Iceman became a reliable source when he confessed to his own murder, so they always tell the truth. That gave him a little bit of, uh, I guess you want to call it, What's the word you're looking for, Matt? Where it gives you a bit of credibility to then say, well, I'm going to say this one too. And since he's already confessed, the media believes him. I don't think it was until years later that people started really looking at this guy for what he was. And then the opinion came, uh, no, this guy's changing the stories. He says the story one day, the next day he says it's different. One day he says it's 100, the next day he says it's 200. That's a huge jump between 100 murders and 200 murders. And that's when people start realizing what's going on. But the books are still selling. I don't think that Philip Carlo, the author who wrote Iceman, knew this guy was lying. Because remember, you know, Sam the Bull was saying, look, we did this, the FBI was using him. Um, all these different people that informed are the same thing. They're confidential informants and sometimes just credible sources. And it looked like at some point that's exactly what this guy became, a reliable source. The FBI never used him. This guy never went to the police and said, look, I'm going to help you solve these crimes or whatever. And they go there and sure enough, they find the body, which gives them credibility. Nothing like this happened with this guy. This guy was basically doing interviews for entertainment purposes and to sell books. That's it. Does a guy like that have respect on the inside of the prison, or is he looked at as kind of a phony? Look, it really depends on what penitentiary he was at and who was around him. You know, the guy's a killer, absolutely. He's a big guy, yeah. Did he really offend anybody? <sighs> yes and no, but some of those those mob guys that he was part of, that he was involved in the Castellano killing, and that DeMay hired him to do one 30 or 40 kills. Yeah, they'd be pissed off this guy using their name and their main guys, but now uh, Castellano's dead. Dottie's in prison. Uh, Sammy the Bull is in, is in performance. There's not a whole lot they can do to this guy. So why not make up stories? Those guys are dead. He's talking to kill the dead. He's talking about the mob that he was uh, hired by the five families and they were hired him to do all kinds of hits. Is it sure it's, it's it's possible in the movies, but 
no family member from one of the, the crime family is going to use the same guy to do murders for. That doesn't make any sense. At some point, you know too much, you're going to off your ass. And he wasn't hiding. It just makes no sense. It does make sense to a writer or to an author, but to a person that knows that world, and that's why the FBI never asked this guy to help collaborate in this murder or that murder. Because they weren't true. They knew this guy's full of garbage. They're not going to out him, but they're not going to let him talk. I don't care. How would one even become a hitman? Let's say that, let's say I wanted to change careers and I wanted to, <laughs> you know, do murders for the mafia. Maybe me is a bad example because I, I would stick out a little bit, but, uh, you know, just a average Italian guy. That, that's what he wants to do. I mean, I like if it were me, maybe I'd go hang out with the Hells Angels, but I mean, how do you really how do you get hired for something like that? Well, it takes time. You, these things don't happen overnight. No guy that's involved in crime, and some guy says, hey, I want to shoot Big Bird right here, and uh, he kills people. Oh, great, let's hire him. No. It, it, look, it takes a long time. If there's, there's referrals. I know it sounds crazy, but it's just like the normal world. There's referrals. What body of work is this guy before? Well, that's the guy who killed freaking... Big Bird in the corner right there, and he killed Elf, too. Oh, shit. Wow. Hey, I'm impressed. And then you get to know the guy before that. It takes a while. You just don't sign up to be a killer. You have to really live in those circles. Your name starts getting around. You do this for that person. And, you know, mob bosses just don't start looking at yellow pages for hired killers. They're referred to. An underboss or a captain or an associate says... They tell that guy to make the hits. And if he goes, well, I got a guy who'll take care of it. Who's the guy? Well, it's this guy's nice now. He'll take care of it. Make it happen. That kind of stuff. It, it, you know, you don't become Sammy the Bull or, or Gotti overnight. This takes an entire lifetime. The same thing for these guys who are hitmen. And it's the reason we don't know about to be hitmen. Now, we know that Sammy the Bull was, was an enforcer. But these hitmen are very elusive Okay, so in closing, they've got, uh, they have five murders on this guy, is that correct? Yes, including a police officer that they, they actually confessed to even later after he was in prison several years. So how many people do you think he actually killed? Was he actually, like, killing homeless people for practice, or is that just more of his his story that he tells? Yeah, that's more just a story. That's to kind of bolster the thing of the, of the boy who was born to kill and became a, just, I don't know, a man. That's just a story. 
All right. Well, I'm disappointed. I'm very disappointed in this guy. I hope he listens to this. If you're listening, Iceman, I'm disappointed in you. Why? Why do this? You could have just kept peddling pornography. But now, you know, now you just wouldn't embarrass yourself. So, I don't know. I hate this guy. Bill. Bill. Oh, he's dead? He's dead. He really can't hear you, man. He's dead. He really can't hear you. Oh, he died in 2006. Yep. All right. Well, all right. I guess we can end on a positive note. All right. You did. Right. All right, Bill. We'll be back next week. We're going to talk about Charles Cullen. He is the the nurse, the killer nurse from the film The Good Nurse, which I'll give my review on uh, when we talk about him. So until then, I've been Matt Ralston. <laughs>